The car you drive every day should be fun. But it has to do the boring stuff too, like commute, be affordable, and haul your groceries. You can have both, and we'll help you find it. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Today. So we've got a bit different podcast this evening. If you've been following along on our Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, everywhere we ask for questions, you know that Chance is joining me this evening. Chance, welcome back. Hey, guys. And uh, the thing you may not know, though, is that we actually delayed the podcast by about 15 minutes. Let me give you the backstory. Hang on. Chance is joining me because Paul's on a business trip. Then Paul, this is how badly he wanted to be on the podcast tonight. He caught an earlier flight. He just walked in the door. We delayed the podcast 15 minutes, and now it's all three of us. Paul is here, too. <laughs> hey, everybody. Yeah, thank you for having me back on. I, uh, I'm glad to join. A surprise. I'm back on the podcast here. Yeah, no kidding. And, uh, it's nice. What's great is that actually what we're, one of the big things we're going to do tonight, because you guys asked a lot of questions, because it's all three of us, we're actually not going to do car debates. We're going to talk about Geneva because I feel like half the questions we've gotten have been something about a car revealed at Geneva. And I can't tell you how happy I am that Paul's with us because, you know, we're talking styling on some of these and Chance and I can bumble around, but Paul can actually talk <laughs> styling. So it's good that he's here. But before we do good. that, it's we actually good. should have an update. Yeah, well, I'm, hey, seriously, I'm not kidding. I'm glad you walked in the door. And, and I'm, I'm surprised you even put your bags down, but welcome to the podcast. <laughs> well, thank uh, you. It's I want, been a whirlwind. Chance, the other reason that I wanted you to, to be on here is to talk about your Mustang. You have even a name for the project, which I haven't, uh, we haven't talked about before, really. So I want you to give us the name for the long-running project and what the status is. Yeah, so when I first started this project, I came up with a name for it. I was working for uh, a little local automotive blog called Daily Derby. And I, I started this, this project following along the progress called, and I called it Project Pony Up. So you can follow it on hashtag inst on Instagram or Twitter. And you can even just Google Project Pony Up and all my old articles on it from my daily derby days will still pop up on Google. Mm -hmm. So you can kind sure, of yeah. kind of get the, the early, early background of what was going on. Yeah. yeah. For, for those of you that don't know, I have a 67 Mustang project car that I've had since I was 14. and I didn't know that, actually. 14? Yeah, yeah, 14. I've had it more than half my life. It's crazy to, crazy to think wow. about. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's how long this project has been. Uh, we actually brought it home, to, brought it home uh, on 9 September 11th, 2001 was the day we brought it home. You're kidding so, me. It's a day that I'll never forget for more than one reason. For better, <laughs> Many reasons. For yeah, better or for worse, yeah. Chances like, so, it's the yeah, day yeah. I brought my Mustang home. Why? What are you guys talking about? <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we brought it home. It was a complete car. It was being stored in my dad's boss's backyard for one of his friends that had been sitting up on blocks for 10 years in the Arizona desert. And, wow. Uh, we bought it for a grand total of $600, which was a steal then. It's even more so of a steal now. I, I look back and just yeah, think, no wow, kidding. we got really lucky there. <laughs> and, Seriously, uh, yeah. So being in high school, I didn't really have much money to throw at it. So we, we did things here and there when we could. And uh, as I've gotten older, I've been able to, you know, the the progress of the project has kind of gone up exponentially, and then it kind of halted for a while, and it, it picked up again. So it was running in high school? You had the car running and driving? Uh, it was running. We got it running when I was in high school, but it wasn't drivable yet. Okay. It still had a bunch of things that it needed to do. And um, Has it ever been drivable? I mean, ever? In yes. your ownership lifetime? Since, since I've owned it, I drove it around for about a year, uh, four years ago now, I was driving it. Got it running, got okay. it registered. When right. I got it registered, it was the first time it had been legally registered in 20 years. And uh, Gosh. But this is the reason, it, I hate to say it, but this is the reason we tease about long-term project cars and people ask us about project cars. <laughs> Chance is the poster child. You've had it for no half kidding. your life. I mean, that is just, yeah. talk about an ongoing project. But sorry, keep going. Now, now, granted, mine's a little bit different since I had it since I was so young. But... I know, I know, but it just proves the yeah, eternal yeah, nature totally, of the project car. Totally. So while I was driving it, it was it was my sole daily driver car. I didn't have my wife had another car, but that was my car to drive around. As ridiculous as that sounds, I was driving it through Utah winters without snow tires, 
It didn't have, you know, power steering, analog brakes, no traction control, power, nothing. And uh, Wow. <laughs> this sounds just like my sister's husband's car, my brother-in-law. When my sister first started dating him, he had a 1950 Mercury that he named Nina. And it was drivable, but what's the deal with project cars and they just stick around? Unfortunately, he doesn't have it any longer, but it's just sort of this thread of people I know and in my own life. I find this really funny. But catch us up, Chance. I mean, what what did you set out to do and what step are you on? Well, to, to back up just a little bit more, for four years ago, the engine blew. That that So I had to park it and I was planning on rebuilding that engine. It was a 302. It wasn't mm-hmm. original to the car. But then a friend of mine called me up one day and said, hey, my neighbor is selling this 91 Mustang GT. It's got a 5.0 and it a five-speed and all these great parts. Runs great. The car cool. is yeah. a piece. So I bought that. <laughs> and <laughs> okay. I, I took the engine, the transmission, and the rear axle out and parted out the rest of the car. And I have since put that engine and transmission into the 67 Mustang. And that's been a cool. three-year project that it's now running. I've driven it around the block a few times. Hey, it's, look at progress. that. It's, it's still not registered because it's been sitting for so long. It needs tires badly. Sure, yeah. But, yes. but it's running. It's still, there's still a few things it needs to be you know, drivable where I can feel comfortable mm-hmm. taking it to work and back type thing. <laughs> but, like it'll start <laughs> when you need it, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, so right. for example, I had posted a video of it running a week or so ago, and uh, our old shooter Gavin commented on it. He's like, I don't believe you. This is this is fake. Yeah. And so I said, all yeah. right, come over tomorrow, and I'll take you for a ride in it. So he comes <laughs> over and uh, starts the car up. We go go around my neighborhood. We get about a half a mile down, down the road, and I kept thinking to myself, this doesn't feel as fast as I was hoping it would. And I was I was just disappointed, and then all of a sudden the car just started misfiring and died at the side of the road. <laughs> Project <laughs> okay. car, yeah, yeah, right. And people have said to you about the finish too, sort of you know keep the finish as is, don't paint it, don't do much to it, because it admittedly it could use you know anything but that in my opinion. But I agree, yeah. I don't know. Every time what someone tells me to do that, I just shake my head and say no that's not it's not going to stay looking like this i, I will imagine. admit though i yeah. think it does look cool the way it is so i get where they're coming from it's just not nice it's looking. got a mad max vibe about it it's got the primer with stripes and it's got a mad max thing going yeah, on yeah I, I get it i do get yeah. it you start welding yeah. other stuff to it and making it a crazy car then we'll know that he's gone off the deep end todd <laughs> <laughs> yes so, well he's hanging out with us so there's it's not a, it's going to be yeah. a short trip but keep going yeah so so here we are on the side of the road i call my wife up unfortunately it's a half mile from my house it's like hey um yeah. the car's not started will you bring some jumper cables and some tools and we'll we'll figure it out <laughs> <laughs> so she just brings the car and says well i don't know what tools you need so take the car home i'll walk home and you <laughs> come back with whatever you need it's like okay so uh, just jumped the car and it started right up. I readjusted the timing and it ran great after that. I, I let, uh, I just drove the car back to my house and I live up yeah, a hill. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Paul can tell you how steep the hill is going up to my house. Yeah, it's so I, it's fairly steep. Yeah. So I I make the turn to go up this hill, and I just romp on it in first gear and I spin the tires through second gear up this hill. And I, I was just amazed at how much more power it felt like it had. All I did sure, was adjust yeah. the timing. But then when I pulled into my driveway, the car died again. And what what ended up happening was it was so stupid; it was my own fault. Uh, I forgot to run a battery cable from the starter solenoid to the alternator, so it wasn't charging the battery. Ah. So I would <laughs> run for trick. so long and then die. And project and, uh, car. Yeah. yeah. Seriously. I have a feeling and this is going to start happening a lot. You're going to start calling your wife, and she's going to bring <laughs> you tools more often now. It's sort of like you might want to outfit your Boxster or her Boxster with a set of tools. So anytime she's got, got a tool rack. Personal AAA, right? I mean, yeah, right. you'll well, just you got, open up, call you open up the front, and, and then all these tools expand out out of the front <laughs> yeah. of the Boxster. It's going to be awesome. What yeah. do you think? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. 
I've got a little toolbox in the car, fortunately, but I don't have it. I don't have everything I need in it yet, so I'm still trying to you know build sure. that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so then jump ahead. Over the last few days, uh, I've got it running. It it was running better, but then when I'd take it out, it would start misfiring and still die. So there's this yeah. this electronic controller that it controls the ignition that I replaced today, and uh, it was running great. Took it up the hill. Nice. And got it got it up the hill, and guess what? It died. It died. <laughs> I right. was gonna guess well, that actually. That, that was and, my yes. guess. Even though we have a lot of trends going on here, I do want to say to those of you that are wondering, yes, we are pushing on chance a bit because we want to get this car on camera. Paul and I are hoping to do a fast blast of it at some point this summer, and then yeah. maybe we'll move it into long terms and, and actually get some video coverage of uh, this project as it develops. Because as you can clearly tell, it has gone on for a while undocumented, and it may go on for a while yet but, uh, yeah, Chance is, is, is working toward us actually getting in the car and driving it and putting on camera this summer, which we're actually very excited about. Yeah. I mean, I can't yeah. wait for the beautiful photographs, the photography that you do of that car in primer with some beautiful background and, you know, some sort of dichotomy of the most beautiful scenery <laughs> with that, unpainted, still yeah. in its restoration phase. We practically need the beauty yeah. shots done in the fall when all the colors are really popping and just do gray in the front and right. all the colors in the background. Yeah. yeah. But we'll see how it unfolds. We'll see how it unfolds. So we're we're glad to hear – we're glad that one of us has a project car because, you know, that way we can at least cover that reality without you and I having to suffer, Paul. No, seriously. That's right. The embarrassing thing about what happened today, though, uh, I'm just shaking my head at because I'm sitting there at the top of the hill from my house trying to figure out why it won't start back up. And I finally decide, okay, well, I'm on a hill, so I'll just – coast it down to my driveway which fortunately i was able to and okay. as it as it turns out well I, i'm sitting in my driveway trying to figure out why it's not starting i'm playing messing with things screwing around with timing again and it turns out all it was was i ran out of gas so little things <laughs> little things <laughs> and also for those of you wondering no we are not turning this into a build show this is chances. True. He is doing True. all yeah. the restoration himself. But, uh, yeah, we, we could, I suppose, but we just want to so, drive it. So well, with this story, done, we clearly could make it an entire separate thing. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be it's gonna be cool to actually get in and drive and show it off a bit. And I know it's been a long time coming for you. And it's an interesting build that touches on, uh, you know, tons of aftermarket stuff that exists there for Mustangs in general. And you're making your Franken-Mustang. So I'm, I'm excited yeah. to, to get in and talk about it some more. So thanks for being with us and updating us on that. Well, I don't know what else to call it. I mean, that's what it is. Uh, they're, kind, they're practically Legos. They're, they're right behind Subarus in the world of let's make Legos. But uh, we true. should talk about newer cars because Geneva has been going this week. None of us have been in Geneva, which is actually kind of too bad. But some of the photos and some of the reveals in Geneva this year have been unbelievable. So I want to hear from you guys what was striking you. And I've got some stuff I want to talk about as well. Oh, yeah. Can, um, I, can I just say, Geneva, to me, is my favorite auto show because all the art comes out. All the big designers show fair. off. Fair. And then, yeah. and then Hyundai rolls along this year. And Heck they bring yeah. out this... Well, y y you'd think that. But Hyundai rolls along out with this, this <laughs> FE fuel cell concept. Have you seen this? I don't know if you've seen this yet or not. I'm but scrolling through and looking I've, for it here. We talk a lot about how a lot of times designers just keep drawing when they shouldn't be, just you know, put the pen down. Yes. Well, in this case, yes. In this case, I don't think they picked the pen up. It, <laughs> it, it, it's an SUV, and it looks like what they did was they created the shape and mm -hmm. then called it good. Mm -hmm. That was it. They're done. Yep. And we've got we've I, got an outline, and let's put some wheels on that outline and let's move on. I, I hear you. Yep. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I I just don't get it. It's kind of the minimalistic thing, you know, if they feel they might have gone too far and now they're pulling it back too far the other way, well, that can happen too. So, yeah, it needs maybe more more bake time, more time in the oven. To their credit, they're claiming 500 miles range on this thing. So there there is that, but it's it's not really interesting looking. Sorry, Hyundai. <laughs> well, their sister company Kia Kia's bringing the noise, I've got to say. Come on, Kia Stinger. Hello. And their other designs. I mean, Kia is rocking it. It doesn't – it proof that you don't have to be the world's most you know, high-end manufacturer of sports cars, whatever that is, 
to really bring the noise, and they are really coming in there into their own. They've they've really done it here for me. The Stinger, I cannot wait to drive this car, you guys. I'm thrilled. Know, with you're this you're thing. all about that car. You're all about that car. One of the things Seriously. that the FB uh, makes make <laughs> one of the things that the FB makes me think of uh, that speaks to something you've talked about ever since we drove the ND Miata, Paul, and that is how much smaller lights are getting because the technology is allowing for lights to be little squinty yeah. slithers of kind of nothing, and yet because they're LEDs or whatever, they can send enough light. That that FE fuel cell thing has that issue, but I actually think it's interesting to watch a solve of that because you've talked about, Paul, how it, it's taking the eyes of the car or some of the face of the car making it squinty, and in contrast to that, McLaren, I feel like, has figured out a way around the problem. If you look at what they did with their 720S, brand new front end on that car. Yeah. And what I find fascinating is you have the tiny yep. little light bar that if they had put it in the side of a sheet metal, it would be this little tiny slit, which we're not really liking. But they put it inside an intake, and they've made it a, a kind of a larger eye shape and yet used that shape for multiple things and remade the front end of the McLaren, which honestly, I, I like this front end better than the P1 idea that they were putting on everything. But here's this 720S that I think is just downright gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I'm in love with McLarens, but the prior design, I didn't need it to mimic the shape of their logo. I just I, – I, I thought it was a foregone conclusion. It was sort of like, all right, you tried it. Let's move on to something fresh and creative mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. And they have – I, yeah, you've described it perfectly here, and they've managed to maintain proportionally what that shape might look like and maintain a face rather than kind of getting too fussy, too squinty, like I think the ND Miata is. I think that technology has mm -hmm. manifested itself in the ND Miata, and it's too squinty. It's too tiny for the proportions. Not to go overboard, sure. but looking at this, this McLaren 720S, if you look at the rear on this car – the rear lights are really just another thin strip of LED there, but they have designed yeah, it in such yeah. a way, and some of these photos show it off, that it will reflect off the lip, the bottom lip there sticking out that is actually the protrusion for mm. the rear bumper. That will reflect sure. now, so it actually looks as a larger shape when the light illuminates, but it's still just a very thin strip. So they, they've mm -hmm. kept that that shape going on, the larger shape, but they don't need to illuminate the whole thing. They're actually using ambient bounce light off the bumper to create a larger effect. And I think it's really brilliant what they're doing here. I'm I'm so intrigued with McLaren and, and where they're going. Uh, yeah, Paul I, Schmucker, ladies and gentlemen, just described more about lighting in five <laughs> minutes than I will in my entire life, by the way. Well done, sir, on, on reflective light and that kind of stuff. I mean, all I was going to say, which, you know, you've, you've more than covered it. All I was going to say is I, I really wish the front end on the P1 was only on the P1. I didn't like that they brought it to the rest of their lineup. I really like this yeah. new front end. Yeah. And also, it, this has a, a wonderful bubble cockpit. It very much it, – it's back to that F-16 look. You know, the, the original NSX was chasing the F-16 for kind of a bubble cockpit look for visibility. I look at the side profile of this 720, and I have to think – that's got to have surprisingly good visibility. It's a fantastic-looking mm -hmm. car. They are quickly shooting to the top of my car makers that I just lust after. I'm very impressed with this. Yeah. I, I actually kind of feel the opposite. I I like it from behind, but the new front end, it just it's not doing it for me. A large part of it is because of the, the way they've done the lights. The, just the black gaping <laughs> so hole just liking it. Okay. doesn't work for me, no. Okay. Well, okay. I will say... Right. That's fair. I will say I felt the same way about the 570S when it first came out. I didn't care for the front end. But the more I've, I've seen it, mm -hmm. the more it's grown on me. So perhaps this will grow on me, too, like the, the rest of the McLaren lineup has. Right, right. Man. It's, a, it's, it's weird. I'll be honest. It's weird what they've done with that massive intake that kind of has three sections. It's got the, you know, the big light yeah. up top. It's got the running light in the middle and the intake on the bottom. I mean, they're doing a lot in one shape. I'm impressed with the fact that they've done that much with the shape, and I actually think it's kind of cleaned up the front end. But, again, we're looking at photos. I want to see this in the metal. I want to walk around it. Because some photos look amazing, and some photos I'm seeing here, I'm like, yeah, I don't know about, about it there. But overall, I just, <laughs> I'm just i so excited with what they're doing, and we need to be in more yeah. McLarens. Because, of course, that's an everyday driver car. Clearly, the, you know, the quarter-million-dollar McLaren yeah, is everybody's is. buying one of those. So let's, uh, 
Should we talk about <laughs> something that is a little more affordable? Can we do that? Sure. I was going to say Porsches, you know, because we've got to talk about the GT3 okay. and at least get it out there of the way. I knew you would. <laughs> Not affordable, but at least – okay, let's, let's cover it. Well, we're here. Let's cover it. Keep going. All right. Very quickly, the 2018 GT3. So this is the second gen of the 991, four-liter flat six. Todd, you and I have driven the 4.0. The GT3 mm-hmm. RS 4.0 yep. of the last gen, the 997. The 997. Yep. yep. We're back to a 4.0 in the new GT3 here, 500 horsepower yep. and a manual transmission. Wow. They've listened. They're listening to customers. Mm-hmm. And I am, yeah, yeah I, I need to own a 911 in my life. That just needs to happen. And uh, I'm kind of thinking this new GT3. I'm I'm loving everything that they're doing, and I'm just so curious and fascinated by the way Porsche is able to one-up themselves with every single model every time, and not just in a stylistic way either. They're adding power and performance, mm-hmm. and you think, all right, come on, push it further. But you can see themselves, you know, you can see them restrain themselves with each model. I mean, we're we've heard rumors and seen stuff about the Cayman GT4 RS. There's always that. Next sure, little yeah. tiny They're jump, yeah. Yeah. and here it is. Cor- correct me if I'm wrong. Is this not the same drivetrain that's in the the current 911 RS, the GT3 RS? It's got a four liter with 500 horsepower too, does it not? It Did does. It just, it's, they just put uh, the six speed to it. Well, PDK still available, but you can get it with a manual now. I'm seeing their similarities, but what I'm reading here is this is based on the engines used in the GT3R and RSR race cars, which tells me possibly not. And then how many more yeah, variants of the flat six can we possibly do, right? Right. Yeah. 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 But it's all about weight savings in this one. And I love that it's naturally aspirated. I love that the six speed is there. I mean, I think there's two interesting kind of notes that are happening with Porsche right now. I mean, you and I have talked about, as we start talking about autonomy, we end up drifting because, of course, we always drift back into Porsche. But we start talking about the fact that <laughs> Porsche has has kind of said, we're going to be focused on drivers. And yeah. I wonder if at some point they had a conversation internally and said, if that's what we're going to declare, then we have to offer the more driver-engaged, a la the manual versions of some of our big boys, so that we can, if we're going to stake that claim, let's stake that claim. You know, And that was one of the issues this is the new other thing that's interesting is this is the new GT3, but they have said that the new GT3 Correct. RS will still be PDK only. So if you want to be just backed off from pure track car and have a six-speed manual, you can do it, which is really awesome. The other thing I think is interesting, as Porsche's doing these rare versions of 911s, yeah. I'm looking at the 911R, for example, which is an extreme example, but follow me for a second. I'm wondering if the cheapest way to buy this new GT3 will be new. If it'll be one of those 911s that six months well, later is going yeah. for 50 grand more than all the new ones. Because that's the thing that's happened with the last GT3 RS, which, as we've joked about before, apparently has a dispenser somewhere around the Nürburgring where you can just walk up and they'll give you one. <laughs> it is. They're all there. But, a GT3 but, dispenser. But the other thing about them is... I love that. You can... You can I wish, but the thing that we've heard over and over and over, especially with the RSs, you can sell them for up to a hundred grand more than they were new, which yeah. is shocking. So I'm very curious to see what happens with this six-speed version. And Porsche has noticed this. Their bosses have noticed and said, "We're not a hedge fund, guys." I mean, it's one thing to say that, yeah. but yeah, I think yeah. it's going to continue because just the way people are approaching these cars now. And Porsches were never really designed to be that. They were always the you know, the car guys that are really, truly into driving, mm-hmm. not parking mm-hmm. them in their garages. I mean, maybe the 918s, maybe, but that's Ferrari ownership. Yeah. I hate to say it, but Ferraris I associate with garage queens. Porsches, not so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, people get out and drive them, and it's kind of – it's definitely gone that way. And these these cars are even yeah. more focused on that enjoyment than ever before. I'm, It's uh, – it's a great time to be alive and love Porsches. Let's put it that way. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> okay. I'm going to well, wrench us away from that then quickly. No, sorry, Chance. Go on. Go on. Well, I, I was going to keep us there and move on to the, the rough Yellowbird. I don't know. The, oh, so, yes. Yes. So rough is a company that's always um, – they don't build – new cars from the ground up. They take Porsche chassis and kind of build their own car out of it. It's still mm-hmm. – Kind of a Porsche, but kind of not. 
So back in the 80s, they had the, the CTR Yellowbird, which was just a complete animal, and, and people mm-hmm. loved it. So as a, yes. as a 30th anniversary present to themselves, you might say, they've decided to bring it back and build it all again, but this time from the ground up. And it's still... Yeah. It, 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 to me, it seems like for when a singer 911 is just not special enough. So you get, you get this <laughs> yeah. car instead. Yeah, like 600,000 yeah. yeah, yeah. bespoke carbon fiber 911 by singer is not quite special enough. Roof has always been, they've always been nuts. That's what's been the big thing versus, versus somebody like a singer who is very much about bespoke and build quality and uniqueness. Roof has always been just how nuts can we make the car? Always crazy yeah. power, extra little uh, arrow, that kind of stuff. This looks kind of restrained for them. I mean, it does feel like, and other people have talked about it as well, it does feel like Roof does a singer style of their own car. Yeah, they've Because it noticed. does look surprisingly clean. Yeah. You know, it's, it's very classy. It is. I'm still not quite convinced about the taillights, but we'll Yeah, we'll, I was just, just going to we'll say, the taillights, the taillights remind me of some of those cars in Back to the Future when they go to the future. That's what they, they look like. They're '80s futuristic taillights that right. they tried to kind of yeah. the '80s the, idea of the, of the future, 21st century. That yeah. it's just it's not working for me. But yeah. overall, the car looks great. All right, guys. Well, what else stood out to you at the show here? I mean, we've got Porsche clicked off, Kia. So my two favorites. We do. There, there's 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 two that I want to talk about that are very much to reality. They're very much the price points that we actually normally talk about. And the first one that I want to talk about, many of you have asked, what do we think of the Civic Type R? Oh, 300 yeah. horsepower, oh. front-wheel drive only, 300 horsepower. I walked around this uh, prototype version at the LA Auto Show with Chance, and I'm looking at photos now. It's going to come out in Europe shortly. It's going to be out in the U.S. supposedly by the fall. We have Tom coming up with the prior uh, Civic Type R review is on its way. He ha- hasn't been in the new one yet, but he's been in the prior one. The one right, I guess you right. would have bought up to now. So he has that coming. But, of course, the U.S. has never had an R. So here it comes to enter into competition with, I guess, the Focus RS and the STI and those big boys. Of course, those are all-wheel drive. But I have to say I'm surprised at how big and bulbous this looks. This just looks – when you're thinking about a world where you have the Mercedes GLA and that's supposedly a crossover, I'm looking at this as supposedly a sports sedan and going – this is actually too big for a sports sedan and practically feels like a crossover. Yeah, I'm not seeing this as a sports sedan, though. That's not how I'm looking at this car. I'm still feeling hatchish to here. I, I really do. I, I feel like it's taken the place of the missing WRX hatch, and it's kind of that flavor, even though it is sedan-ish. I feel like it's kind of in between, yeah. and the inspiration was the first three Fast and Furious movies for styling. <laughs> I, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I was just gonna say. I think it took leaving you know, themselves we some room. About in the beginning, it, it, it went too far. It's it's just you know put the pen down, just stop drawing. This is the it's, opposite here. It's I, I think part of the problem is the, the Honda the Civic Si of, of the last few years. They haven't been very exciting cars. They've been they, they've they've had some punch to them, but so look at them, they bit. don't really look that special. So I think. T- because this is a Type R, they're like, oh, we got to make this look good. And then they just threw all the parts on it that they possibly could and draw holes here they, and vents here. And it's just, it's it's cool. But at the same time, I, th- I think they took it a little bit too far Do as you? far as a styling point. It, it's, yeah. It's, it's a little have, shouty. They have gone nuts. They have gone, it's very shouty. They have gone nuts. But I would say, though, this is what I wish Volkswagen would do. If they're going to make a big golf. Oh, and agreed. make it crazy. Make it crazier than the GTI. You're this is separating itself from the rest of the lineup. Yeah, yeah, just styling-wise. I, I don't know. Here's the thing. It's one of those things where I don't know that it's to my taste, but if you're going to make the crazy, all-bets-are-off version of the Civic Si and you're going to go crazy, this is this is well-executed in that regard. You've gone appropriately crazy. I just they, think it looks bulky and almost starts to blur that line if the GLA and the Macan are blurring it one way from uh, CUVs that are becoming sports cars, I feel like this is the sports car that's starting to feel like a CUV as far as its stance and the and the size of it. I just I'm surprised by it. Mm-hmm. Chance, uh, what were you thinking on this thing from uh, powertrain, all that kind of standpoint? Well, I, I think from you know a performance standpoint, I think it's pretty cool to, and I'm looking forward to you know actually driving it. It's 
300 horsepower in front-wheel drive cars sounds like a lot, but they, if I recall, they set the front-wheel drive lap time record at the Nürburgring last year with the prototype. Does that sound familiar to you guys? But Something I, like that. They're up yeah, there. Yeah, they're sure. up there. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's a Honda, so in theory it'll run till you till you kill it. It should run forever. Yeah. Um, I did find it cool that they're not even offering an automatic in the car. It's it's manual mm-hmm. transmission only, mm-hmm. which is great. So th- I think they yep. know their and market very well. Awesome. I, I think they mm-hmm. know what their market is, and they've nailed it. It's not like you said, Todd. It's not to, to my taste, but I, I do think that they're they're really onto something. Well, I'm frankly, I need to drive this car. We all need to drive this car, of course. Agreed. But Agreed. I'm disappointed yeah, sure. by the decisions in the drivetrain. Maybe that was due to cost. Maybe that's due to weight. But they do have Acura and Acura's all-wheel drive systems. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking true, to myself, true, true. anything this, any car this is competing against in this category, think about it. Todd, you and I have driven all these cars, the Focus RS, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. Golf R, yep. the Evo, yep. and the WRX STI. What's the similarity? What's the common thread there? They're all-wheel drive. You're right. And they all do their all-wheel right. drive systems differently. And I'm thinking, all right, you guys, you've got Acura here, the brand that's, you know, their luxury brand in the Which U.S. Which a really good one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're known for this. And I'm thinking, all right, mm-hmm. was it, you know, manufacturing complexity? Were we trying to keep the weight down? Was that it? Because I'm yeah, just not yeah. seeing it. The Focus uh, ST and the Fiesta STs are the ones that are the front-wheel drive cars. The Volkswagen GTI. Yeah, the, the, the lower step. Sure. Which yeah, is yeah. the Civic yeah, SI. I see that. But now we're really competing. I'm just wondering if it's going to be an Achilles heel. Despite their front-wheel drive handling magic, I'm wondering if that's yeah. going to hold it back and, and not power it through turns like some of these other cars can. I'd like to think not. But, again, that's only going to be something we can find out after yeah. we're, after we're uh, driving. But bro, but you're right. It's bro, an unknown. It's got a, a big question. Yeah. It's got a 540 uh-huh. watt sound system. Guys. Okay. I mean, I mean, come okay. On. You're right. And this wing and, <laughs> well, and but, the triple uh, pipes. But I have another oh, question. Though. I have another question. Having been when we were when we were at the LA Auto Show and we there was the prototype just sitting there locked. We couldn't get in it. Next to it was the SI. Yeah. And I got in the SI, and was genuinely disappointed by pedal placement. If they're going to oh. offer this Type R. In manual only, I'm very curious, will the pedals be any better placed than they are in the SI? Because the SI, while the actual gearbox feels kind of <clears throat> Honda perfect, the pedals are too far apart. So if you're going to offer an only a manual only car and it's going to be focused at enthusiasts, that's one of my re- weird questions. I would have never thought of that question if I hadn't just sat in the SI and wondered about it. And obviously we're talking about building on those bones. Will it be yeah. different? I don't know, but I hope so. Yeah, that SI was again. It was a prototype too, so things could change as as it, we get closer and closer to production. But yeah, will this be like that? We don't. It'll be interesting to see. I'm staring at the rear three quarter, and I'm thinking, Todd, you know how you want your Evo like the MR with just the little tiny tasteful spoiler. This car doesn't uh-huh. work without its spoiler. No, it does not. It doesn't. Mm. I'm, I'm going it's up there. Yeah, it, it'd be a neutered, you know, like a Manx cat, you know, or something like that. It'd just be completely odd. Like a me. Manx cat. I wouldn't have gone there, but I see what you're saying. All right, okay. Well, it, it and it's point. it's hard to see in these the pictures I have. I don't know which ones you're looking at, but above the rear window, it's got those vortex generators, which yeah. also will help help angle air to that spoiler. So it's, yep. it's, it looks like it's very aero-dependent. It looked very strange without that wing. Very yeah. strange. Yeah, it's clearly clearly doing something. The other one I want to talk about that is in the realm of, well, okay, while we're in rumor mill, I'll go sidestep to a second, and that is Toyota is saying, this isn't even prototype. I mean, as much as I don't like when I talk about prototypes, let alone rumors, but I do yeah. want to touch on it because many of you asked. Toyota is saying, okay, you know the new Supra's coming. We have the GT86 uh, FRS, BRZ, whatever you want to call it this week. We're going to make a car below that that is going to be the resurgence of the MR2. So we have three cars in our lineup. Many of you have asked, what do we think? At the moment, I think it is a nice subject line for the PR department to talk about. I hope they really (laughs) do it. But the thing I keep coming back to and wondering about is, is Toyota committed to niche vehicles? Because that's all these are going to be. And they've True. been mass production vehicles for so long. Are they going to justify as a company? Look, as an enthusiast, I want them to. But are they going to justify as a company having three specialized 
enthusiast-focused cars in their lineup and spending the money to do tooling and building and all of those if they're not all cannibalizing parts ever elsewhere. Now, also because both the 86 and the Supra are shared costs with another company. The MR2, at least to this point, wouldn't be. So I think the bigger question is going to be, is the company willing to spend that money and take that risk? Then do they want to? It sounds great that they want to, but will they? Well, think about their collaboration with Lotus. Think about that. And the mid-engine Lotus goodness that we all know and love. You know? Sure, do that. Maybe it's a collaboration with Lotus to continue a a mid-engine, next-gen MR2, just like they've collaborated with Fuji Heavy Industries for the for the GT86 cars. Yeah, that would be really cool. That, that, my question is, where, which car is going to be, is, is the third car going to be above or below the Supra? Is it going to be, you know, an LFA? Or is it going to be more of a, a maybe WRX type of I don't think there's car? a market above a Supra. I think they'd be topping out. No, the Supra I think, is yeah. known as the, yeah. the, the king. I mean, that's the that, granddaddy. That's what, I that's think, what you'd think, but yeah. then they they made the LFA, so well, yeah. I mean, I think yeah. theoretically, if it's going to be the new MR2, theoretically it should be at the price or below the price of the '86. But I don't think there's a market case there, so I think it has to wind up either right on top of the '86 in price or a little bit above between the '86 and the Supra, which I think is going to be an even bigger no man's land as far as who buys that car. I think it's a I think it's a business gamble, but as an enthusiast, I would love to see it. Yeah, enthusiasts, we'd go wild. I mean, we've been, you know, yeah. bemoaning the dearth of fun cars like the S two thousand and just that that recipe, mm-hmm. the the drift car that you and I were at, the one that's uh, you know you yeah. nearly clipped chance with, <clears throat> uh, <laughs> just that original <laughs> recipe that just doesn't seem like it's being done anymore. And I'm scrolling through multiple images of the of the Geneva show here. Looking at the types of cars, it seems like sedans are still existing, but the CUV market, that has just exploded from the new XC60 Mm -hmm. Volvo to, I mean, you name it. The Alpha Stelvio is in there, which intrigues the daylights out of me. Yeah, Uh, yeah, it just seems like you you can't scroll past any of these photos without something in that category here, Todd, and we've just been noticing that more and more. Um, well, talking yeah. about niche sports cars, though, the last thing I want to talk about, and then we probably should go on to questions, but the last thing I want to talk about, and, and, unless there's other things you guys want to bring up, but the one that I really am completely intrigued by is the Alpine A110. I mean, I'm the glad Lotus you that guy up. in me is so excited about this car because we're talking 2,400 pounds, 250 horsepower. It is... A little more 4C than Lotus Elise because they're talking about it being dual-clutch automatic only. But it's interesting looking. I don't know. I need This is a car I need to see in person because from some angles yeah. I like it, from other oh, angles yeah. I don't. But the fact that it exists and it is unique and it is interesting. I mean, it's a Renault-owned brand. So, I mean, Alpines haven't been on the road in forever. So just that uniqueness alone... It almost feels like Renault is doing at a low price what Volkswagen did with Bugatti. They have this storied name. Could be. And so they're re-releasing a sports car and absorbing costs elsewhere. Uh, I'm so intrigued by Of everything at Geneva, and there's some cool stuff, obviously, we've talked about. This is the one I'm most intrigued by because it hits all of my hot buttons. Well, it's, it's an amalgamation of Lotus, 4C, and Cayman as well. I mean, this is yeah, that competitor that's to its, all that's three of world. those cars. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm intrigued from a Cayman standpoint. You're from a Lotus standpoint. Sure. I'm kind of the same yeah. way, just yeah, the yeah. size. And, yeah, I, is, has it been announced that this might come to North America? Do we know? Have, has anybody read anything about this coming to the U.S.? I'm curious. It's supposed to, but I just I, – I, here's the that thing. I'm going to believe it's smoke and mirrors Gosh. until I see one. But – it's supposed to be a real thing everywhere. Mm. Uh, okay, all right, you know, let let let's see. Yeah, it. look at this. But uh, it's wow. supposed to be a real thing, and I actually think it's surprising how Audi it looks from the rear. It reminds me actually of the old uh, the Peugeot. Was it the RC? Is that what it was called? That, RCZ. Like, the, yeah. yeah, the RCZ. Mm-hmm. It kind of reminds me of that, and I'm. It looks great, but I'm wondering because even the original A110 back in when were those built the 60s mm-hmm. they they weren't fast cars they were pretty slow actually so i'm wondering if this will be 
performance oriented. Well, it'll be performance oriented, but I wonder how how quick it will actually be, or if it's just going to be a, a slow, good-looking car. I mean, this has potential I mean, saying, for electric yeah. powertrain too. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. But 250 seeing... horsepower and 2,400 pounds. That's going to be. They're, they're saying five seconds or less. I mean, that's going to be okay. a genuinely quick car. Let's hope it's got decent handling. The gearbox is is honestly the biggest question about this scenario right now because if you're only offering an automatic, it's going to come so much down to how is that automatic mm-hmm. tuned? And we know, you know, in the world of the PDKs and the DCTs from BMW, the, the there are gearboxes that do it absolutely right. But and if you do it right, I mean, McLaren, there's other lots of manufacturers that do it wonderfully. If you do it right, enthusiasts don't complain. If you don't do it right, we wish for the manual. Uh, you're talking about a of one-off course. car of in course. many ways. That's going to be interesting. What else? Uh, we've got a boatload of questions. Uh, Chance, there's a few yeah, aimed directly at you that I th- I think you need to uh, pick some out of here and and start answering. I'm I'm scrolling through a lot on Facebook here, but we've got them on yep. all three platforms. Yep. Um, yeah, there's a bunch of them. Yeah, what stuck out at you here? Two that stuck out most to me actually it was. One was from Scott Durrell, and he actually asked me kind of basically what my car history has been. And then threw out there, if I had to get rid of the Boxster or the BRZ, which one would I get rid of, and what would I replace it with? So we talked about the Mustang earlier. That's technically my first car. And my next car, I had a a 94 Camry V6. Which, Woo-hoo. you know, yay. When you're Did it have a wing, school, though? That was the key thing. Did it have oh, a wing yes. or possibly the S on the back? Okay. Totally. It did not. But it was it was always a laugh uh, blowing the doors off all the Honda guys at the lights. It was just hilarious to do that. <laughs> but uh, so after that, um, when I got got married, my wife had a 1997 Mitsubishi Eclipse. Oh, yes. Mm, I remember mm. the stories about this car. I forget which trim level it was. It was a base car. It was the, a non-turbo automatic. It was slow. It, the brakes were awful. But it was, it, was, it was a good car. It worked, and it was fun. It, it uh, worked. Re- it worked. How would you describe your car? Well, it works. Yeah, okay, keep going. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it worked. Yeah, exactly. Um. You had a Mazda 6, and I loved that car. I, I wish we never got rid of that car. It was a 2006. Mm, mm. Really? It was a, it was a hatchback V6 car, so it was... Yep, those were not common, yeah. It, yeah, it wasn't the wagon. It was it was a hatchback. Yeah. Okay, so wow. They were, yeah. they were, uh, they looked more like a sedan. The back window was yep. pushed out just a little bit further, and there was an actual, the whole back end was a, a hatch. It was really awesome that yep. I could pull the seats down, lay down flat. All six foot three of me could lay down flat in the back. We put all sorts of stuff back there. Um, That's cool. That is cool. I, yeah, I, I loved that thing. I miss it. And that, that car is actually why I was so disappointed in the Speed 6 we drove a couple of years ago. It just didn't seem mm, that mm. much quicker to me. That, mm-hmm. That's sure. That's sure. Just, yeah. That's besides the point, but you know. <laughs> no, but it but it relates. It relates. It gives people frame of reference. So yeah, keep going. Yeah, um, and then then we got our first second car since we've been married, and that was a uh, 2009 Volkswagen Jetta. It was a 2.5, and you guys have heard the stories. I won't bore everybody else with stories, but that car was a piece of crap. <laughs> yes, you had, you had much. You had much success with that car. Yeah, yeah. that made you a Volkswagen yeah. fan yeah, for a long time. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. Um, so yeah, then then we got rid of the Mazda. We should have got rid of the Volkswagen first instead, but whatever. Uh, then <laughs> that was when I was driving the Mustang. Was when we got rid of the Mazda. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then we bought a. Um. I think we bought the BRZ next, actually. No, no, we bought a Mazda 3 next. And then we bought yeah, the, the BRZ. Oh, that's right. Bit, I remember that Which car. was good. That's right. Which was really great. Yeah. And the Mazda 3 was great. Yeah, it yeah. was. Yeah, it was the, the current gen Mazda 3. It was the base engine. But that that car, Todd and Paul recommend it all the time, and there's a reason for it. It was a great car. It was fun to drive. It wasn't fast, but the chassis was, was just mm-hmm. a hoot to throw around in it's corners. It's decent, and, yeah. 
got great gas mileage. And if you can get the bigger engine, then it becomes a really genuinely all good all-around car. I mean, that yeah. that base engine you had is okay. You know, you you realize that you need a bigger engine in what is otherwise a great car, mm-hmm. but you get the bigger engine and it becomes a, just a great car all around. Keep going. Yeah. Um I actually forgot to mention before uh before we got the Mazda, I had that's when I got that 91 Mustang and drove that around for 6 months oh, and then yeah. took it apart. So, but yeah, and, that was that was a parts then, yeah. car. That, that, that really kind of doesn't count, but but I know. did own it, so it had to be mentioned. <laughs> yeah. Fair. Fair. And so then uh, oh, the, the Jetta had problems, and that's why we got the Mazda 3. We traded in the Jetta, and long story short, the dealer was like, why are all these lights lit up on the Volkswagen? <laughs> yeah. He oh, said, because. Yeah. <laughs> Look yeah. at it. <laughs> and that's when we got the BRZ. After, it was about a year after that, we got the BRZ. And th- yeah. then last fall was when we traded in the Mazda for the Boxster. Mm-hmm. And now the second and, part, and now and now the BRZ disappoints you. I understand. I yeah, understand. and, and yeah. today was even more of a reminder of that. I hate to say it. I was on my way home <laughs> from work and we're at a light, and the car and I next to me, we both punch it, and I lost to a brand new <laughs> Chevy Malibu. It was so oh. disappointing. <laughs> oh. That so, is a bummer. I know it's it's not it's not its strength. It's just no, not its, its not. strength. But let's take that Malibu on any canyon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> sure. Exactly. So, so to answer well, the second half of, the of that FRS, question. Oh, sorry. Go on. Go on. The second part of his question was, which one would I get rid of? Well, it would be the BRZ because it's yeah. They unfortunately they depreciate. They're not the nicest car inside. I I still love it. But that would be the one to go if, if you know, say my wife and I had had a kid or whatever, that would be the one to leave. Plus, they lose to Chevy Malibus yeah. at a stoplight, so that's the main reason, right? Yeah, yeah. And my <laughs> wife actually commented to, to Scott's comment that I have been looking at replacing the car anyways. And you guys have known for a while. I've, I've been eyeballing <laughs> Caymans and... Early yes. 997s and Porsches maybe, for everyone. Yeah, so I've I've I'm swimming oh with gosh. Paul. I kind of <laughs> we're we're backstroking. You want to break our rule and have it all Porsche garage? It's ridiculous. Bring it. That'd well, be awesome. one of my new neighbors has two Corollas in their garage, so I I, I think I'm winning. <laughs> Funny. Well, there's another thing off of that FRS BRZ discussion I wanted to bring up. It was uh, Chad asked the question if we could swap any engine. Into the FRS, what engine and why? <clears throat> I actually gave this some thought, and I think I have an answer. I think I have an answer that fits with what the car is and would make it better. Now, I don't know if it would fit right. It probably wouldn't. Okay. But I thought, okay, what is the FRS? It's a, a low center of gravity boxer engine. What's its problem? Well, its problem is not that it's naturally aspirated. That actually is kind of goes with the feel of the car. It has a good six-speed. It's got to maintain those realities. So I went with first-gen Cayman S flat six. Oh, yeah. You wind up with almost 300 horsepower. It's like low 200s of torque. That's the power that car should have. You can mate it with that generation Porsche six-speed gearbox, which was excellent. You keep, hopefully, lower center of gravity, flat engine. You go up to a six you good, good power. I think uh, not because it's Porsche, but because I think it carries over the personality of what that car is supposed to have. I think that's the answer. You know, yeah. you could do a transaxle with that car instead of trying to do a switcheroo or flip around a transmission, put the flat six in the front and then do a transaxle to balance out the weight for the rear. That'd kind of be interesting. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, you could. That is an interesting point. I've- I've seen so many different engines in these cars over the last year since I've sure. I've yeah. seen people yeah, yeah. do LSs, I've seen Coyotes, I've seen there's Ryan Turek with the Ferrari engine. There's yeah. even one I've Which seen that someone put a, a Skyline drivetrain in it, so it's the straight oh six gosh. and all-wheel wow. drive and all kinds of craziness. But yeah, I'm yeah. I'm kind of with with Todd. I actually think maybe the new. Uh, the new Porsche four cylinder from the seven one eight would be good in that car. It yeah. fit better. It's yeah, similar possibly, to what it already is. Possibly. Or you can put the STI engine in there. That way you're keeping its character. The problem with a lot of these big motor swaps is all of a sudden 
all the weight is over the front axle and it's yeah, just exactly. it, it yeah. just loses yeah, yeah. loses a lot of what it's meant to be. I love how we're just I talking do. about this yeah. as if all engines are plug and play. Well, I want that engine. Let's <laughs> exactly. just, you know, it's, it's gonna be fine. Never mind yeah. the cutting and sawing and welding and lots of money going in. Exactly. Yeah, no exactly. That's the frightening drop thing. Drop it right in. No problem. We'll just open the hood. <laughs> take one engine out. Put the other one in. Where, yeah. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Why not? Why not? All right, guys. Lots of questions to get to here. Uh, something else, uh, Todd. Anything stick out at you as well? Well, I had another one uh, here as well. Rich wrote in on Facebook. Thank you, Rich. Wrote in and said, how many cars is too much? What number does the intervention happen? (laughs) Which is a great question. I have have two thoughts on this, Rich. First one is kind of the ridiculous thought, and that is, who's the person that would be stopping you? Is it the wife? Is it the best friend? Who's the person that looks at you at some point and goes, you know what? Stop it. Stop it with buying the cars. So that that's the first kind of backstop is is who is the person that says that's the limit? Because if it's just car people around you, there kind of isn't a limit. I mean, you have the disease. If you have the money and the space, you could just keep going indefinitely. I'm going to give you my rule, though. And, and I'm going to say this as somebody that doesn't have this problem. I wish I had the money and space to keep buying cars. But I think this is the rule. Paul and I are all about drive your cars. I think... Yeah, there's that rule yeah. in in fashion, and my wife says it, and I have ignored it. But there's that rule in fashion that if you have something in your closet you haven't worn in a year, you should get rid of it. I'm going to say in your car collection, if you haven't driven a car in six months, why do you own it? Yeah, it's just yeah. I, I I think if you're going to have a big car collection, if you're Jay Leno and you've got hundreds of cars, he's cycling through them all the time. He's trying to get some seat time and everything. I think if you want to have a bunch of cars, I think that's great. I don't think you should have a bunch of museum cars. I say that as a guy that believes you should be driving your stuff. If you have a car you haven't driven in six months legitimately, unless, of course, it's being worked on. It's a different thing. If it's a project you're building it, fine. I'm talking about cars that you could go drive that you own. Why haven't you driven it in six months? And if you haven't, it's time to sell it to someone who might drive it. It's what it's for. I'm, I'm with you. And cars that are appreciating in value. Even those cars need to be driven, and it's scary. Mm-hmm. I'm not in that, you know, that <laughs> financial well, bracket or anything like that. Sure. But like an '85 Ferrari GTO, those just sit in garages, and the, you yeah. know, the typical Ferraris and the Porsches and all those stu- all those cars at the very high end that just sit 959s and all this stuff. I'm going, all right, uh, you know, those cars are appreciating in value like crazy. But still, get them out, drive yeah. them. I mean, yeah, well, I agree. The, I agree. Look, look They're not the, a commodity. Look at the 250 GTOs. There's, what, 39 of those in the world? And Something every like single one of those cars gets driven. They're, yeah. They're the most valuable car, arguably the most valuable car on the planet, and the owners drive them. They've yeah. been wrecked. They've been rebuilt. They've been. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, the difference, I think, with those... do the historic those, racing with them and that kind of stuff, too, yeah. Yeah. The difference, I think, with those is they were race cars. Mm-hmm. There's no true, such thing true. as an original race car, as much as people would like to think that. <laughs> there's not. Yeah. Because Unless it was direct. never raced, if it was built and then never right. raced for whatever reason. But, of course, yeah, I, I get right. your point. Yeah. So, I mean, they, <laughs> they get rebuilt. They've got different body panels than were originally there. So, you could argue, is there really much of an sure, original yeah. 250 GTO there at all? But the values of those cars, if you do happen to wreck one, they're impossible to total because they're worth $25 million. It's no way it's going <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. to cost $10 million. Impossible to total. Sure <laughs> no way it's going to cost $10 million to. <laughs> sure. I, I've heard you of the same thing. You spend $15 million rebuilding it and it's still worth twice as much. Yeah, yeah that's a fair point. Yeah, I take well, your point. Well, look, look at uh, that. There, there's a, a local owner of a Ferrari Enzo that he's driven the daylights out of the car he actually yeah yep yeah he wrecked it at 200 miles an hour and they sent it mm-hmm. back to ferrari and ferrari well they they rebuilt the car themselves with a lot of help from ferrari and yep. that car yep. was destroyed and they were still able to mm-hmm. piece it back together <laughs> yeah. so yes with the enough, value is still high richard losey's enzo yep, yeah definitely the, yeah. The, the point well, is and he actually with with enough money you he, can rebuild anything <laughs> You you well that's okay. very true and, <laughs> yes. and and there's where's the nostalgia but I'm gonna still yeah. say to you Rich if you if you have the money to collect a bunch of cars 
I think you should be driving all of those cars. Oh, I agree. Otherwise, I do have to ask the question of why do you have it? It's not a it's not a museum piece. It's not a planter. It's not a painting. Go drive it. It's what it was Agreed. built for. Agreed. But anyway. All right, Chance, you've got to jump in for one or two more here. A lot of people have uh, shot some questions here at you. What are you thinking here? Um, there, there was actually one that was on Instagram. Uh, it was from Not Blake. He asked me what was the craziest thing I've ever done to get the shot. Oh, now, okay. <laughs> I, I can't say I've done anything too extreme. Like some some photographers I've seen have done just some outlandish things. But I've, I've got sure. I've got three examples, and the two of them were, are with my own cars, and one of them was shooting for you guys. <laughs> okay. Uh, so a couple of years ago, when my Mustang was actually running. I drove it out to Utah Lake and did some photos of it. This was in late December. The car did not have a heater. It was <laughs> 16 degrees outside. That and, sounds crazy already. And yeah, yeah I, I drove it without the heater and and parked it by the lake and took some pictures. They they look pretty good, I mm -hmm. think. And and. They're good-looking photos. You should, you should post some of them with this podcast. Yeah, you should. Yeah. But, yeah, when you know how cold it was and how non-winter-tired you were, not good, yeah. Yeah, and you look, at, you look at them, and you don't know that. It looks cold because it's snowy and the lake's iced over and whatnot, but you don't know that it's, you know, 16 degrees yeah. outside and the car's got no heater. <laughs> <laughs> and Fair. Uh, the other two was last winter with the BRZ, I took it out, and I, I've posted a couple of these b pictures before on our, our account. I took the car to it was also off utah lake but a different location but to get to it i pretty much had to go off-roading i had to oh, go down this perfect. very rocky all might as well have had a jeep kind of path to get down to this this clearing that i was shooting at and okay. the car looks like it doesn't belong there at all it looks like a rally car almost because it's oh, covered yeah. in dirt sure and, <laughs> sure yeah but but yeah, that that was kind of nuts. Just the, the how it, how I had to get to where I was to put the car there. Sure, yeah. And but I think the most crazy thing I've done with you guys, it really wasn't that crazy until, you know, some of the story behind it. That was with the Hellcat, the Charger Hellcat oh, that we had. Oh yes, mm -hmm. yes, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. There there was a stretch of road that was pretty long, and Todd was driving, and we set up the cameras, and and. You were doing some very quick camera flybys, as yes. as we usually do. But this was even quicker than normal. As as one does with a Hellcat, so, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was the thing is that the Hellcat the Hellcat achieves speeds in the same distance in, for drive-bys that most cars can't. And it was to the point that I would go by camera and look at the speedo after going by camera because the last thing I was doing was looking at the speedo during the drive-by. I would get clear of you guys, look at the speedo, and shock myself every single time. Yeah. It wasn't an Gosh. attempt to reach a high speed. It was just that gathered speed so quickly yeah. and is such a monster car, huge speed. So keep going, Chan. Yeah, so I, I'm set up on the road, and I'm pretty much right on the white line. And... Mm -hmm. I'm facing the opposite direction of, of you. The way, I'm facing the way yep. that you were traveling. And, uh, yeah. So I'm going to pass you and I'm going to enter camera right beside you and then go, go off and <laughs> right. But I, I get that. But I can't see you coming. I just hear the roar of that, that 6.2 liter sure. V8 and the supercharger one. And the supercharger, and right. The spine tingling approaching me. And you just yeah. flew yeah, by yeah. and I about fell over because you drove by so fast. Yeah. And I, yeah, <laughs> and it's pushing an entire walls house wall worth of wind in front of it because it's essentially a brick with a bomb under the hood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get yeah. it. I totally get it. So, right. so I think I think those are I must, the craziest. I must I must tell a story on you and also defend myself in the process. So the place where I used you as a cone in drift school, I have to admit that. That was one of those moments when I, it was clicking for me. I, I was so in the moment of I can feel what the car is doing. And I came out of the exit of the figure eight and saw where you were. And I was like, chance is in the perfect position for a cone. And if I, and if I, I, can, I can just perfectly curl it around him. And, of course, you unfortunately had no idea I was going I, to do I it. I didn't. <laughs> so that was, that was not an accident. And it was and it was full control, too. I was just like, I'm going to actually just slide around chance. Mm -hmm. And Edgar... Edgar, I took it out of the film, but Edgar, uh, there's there's an exclamation from Edgar because Edgar, while shooting from a distance, thinks 
that I'm not in control and I might hit you. I, I, the reason I'm cackling with laughter when I did that is because it went exactly as I thought, and I knew I'd scared the heck out of you. Naoki starts laughing as well. So I yeah. apologize for frightening you, but please know that I would never have tried that if I had not known what the car was going to Oh, be. yeah. You, you, had, you were sitting there doing donuts around the cones, and you started to come back, and what you'd been doing was you'd go or loop around me, and Naoki was to my right, and he would, yeah, yeah. and he'd tell you what you were doing, he, right or wrong he or was whatever. The reset. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, so I was expecting that. And while you were going past me, I'm sitting there looking to see what the shot I just got. And then all of a sudden, I just hear tires screeching behind me, and I turn around yep. with like you know a mortified look on my face. I'm sure. Yep. <laughs> and uh, well, I I neglected to tell my wife about that incident, and then she saw it in the film. And she's like. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your wife used to really like me, and that has now ended. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's true. We should probably do one or maybe two more questions, and then we will wrap it up. We've already uh, covered an hour, guys. It's awesome. That just shoots by. It's amazing. Is there any, any that stuck out to you, Paul? Mm, no, they kind of weren't directed kinds. at you this time. I, but. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious about Brian Hafer's question here about, you know, who would win, win in a race between Paul and Todd. Do you really want to go there? Do you really want to answer that? Well, see, the answer is me. You guys don't realize this, but I'm the hot shoe. <laughs> oh, I see. No, no, I, Excellent job of dodging dodging the question. Well done, yeah, sir. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, in all seriousness, I've only ever pulled away from Todd once, and that was him and the Boss 302, and I was driving a GT350. So that was probably more the car than me. I, yeah, that sounds right. Car, car was probably but, helping considering that road, yes. Yeah. But no, I don't. I don't know if there's a an easy way to answer this question because you guys are both awesome drivers, and the only time I've ever seen you guys both actually being timed was at the ST Octane Academy, a little autocross, urban cross thing that, sure, that you guys sure, did. Yeah. And part of that, um, there was a handbrake turn you guys had to do, and and during your actual timed lap, I think Paul said he he didn't quite nail it, and so it slowed him down some. And sure, yeah. Todd actually had the fastest time of the day, and Paul was I think you were actually one of the slower times of the day, if I remember right, because you couldn't get that turn. I couldn't get that turn, but yeah, yeah. you're right. But you're, you're but yeah, right. every I've never been with you at a timed track event. I don't know which one of you would legitimately be faster. So what's interesting is that we haven't done competitive stuff. I mean, later this calendar year, we're going to do uh, a 24 hours of lemons race. So we'll get a lot of time in a car back to back. I'll be very curious to see how that develops. The drift piece is actually kind of informative in this regard because you do get to see an interesting window into Paul and I's different driving styles in that drift piece. And we have different strengths. Mm-hmm. And yeah. in general, and I and I would I would say this. This is my observation. I, I I can't speak to the times, but I would say this to the approach. I think Paul gets to the edges quicker than I do. I I'm a much slower progressor. I kind of ease my way in, and I kind of feel my way toward the edge. And I and Paul, I th- think generally you have a, a an ability to be much more aggressive with throttle and brake inputs to find the edge sooner in the day than I do. Mm. And I think over time, I think we end up with pretty similar lap times. But I have kind of a slow progression. I kind of keep easing my way in. I think you kind of fight for the edge and then dial it back faster than I do. Mm. I've always thought that you and I have such different driving styles, but they really turn out to be very similar lap times in just about everything we've Mm -hmm. done. And we we get there differently, but yeah, I've I've always thought that. And uh, I mean, you're you're watching the footage of just about well everything we do, and so yeah, you're noticing am, those yes. little things that I haven't I haven't had the pleasure of seeing actually. So yeah, I, I think that's an interesting mm-hmm. observation. I remember seeing I don't remember if it was a video or an article I'd read, but it was it was on rallying, and I think it was by uh, Walter Rural. I can never, I've never been able to pronounce his last name right. Anyways, Walter from Porsche. Uh, Everybody yeah. knows Walter from Porsche. Yes. And yes, he was saying that you'll never learn truly learn how to drive fast until you overdrive the car. Hmm. And his mm-hmm. his point was, a lot of rally drivers when they first start, they are just you know balls to the wall. They're just flying, going as much as as they can do, try, overdriving the car, and they go into a corner too fast. They they don't hit the lines or whatever. And so they said, he said, until you realize that you're going too fast, 
so you can slow yourself down enough for the corners and then you'll become truly fast. You'll see the guys who are, you know, really sawing at the wheel versus the guys who are actually doing smaller, slower, smoother inputs that are the faster guys. So yeah, yeah we, you just, you back off, you calm down and you're just doing little tiny stuff and they're actually faster. I think it was Jackie Stewart at one point that made a comment. I think it was Jackie Stewart. He made a comment about the ring. Our friends at RSR have got it on the wall of their building. But he made a comment where I think he said, if if the ring doesn't scare you, you're not driving fast enough, which I always, <laughs> which always made me laugh. So, yeah, uh, I've heard yeah, that anyway. as well. But, Should be um, I think that's covered the questions that I had. So uh, thank you guys for joining us as always. We would welcome your review on the podcast. Uh, many of you have done that. Rating and reviewing the podcast helps it stay in the top 10, helps more people find it. There are plenty of people that listen that listen because they went looking for podcasts and found us in the top 10. So please know that your rating and review matters, and we love having you with us. Yep, agreed. Thanks, Chance, for being on. We really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate you letting me slide in for an earlier flight. Just to tell everybody, cheers. <laughs>